Good morning. It is good to be back with you after a couple of weeks away. Would you join me once again in prayer? Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for the gift that you give to us in Jesus Christ. We realize that even as we gather here together that um, maybe even some in this room, maybe a number in this room, maybe others who are watching online, that, that the gift you have given in Jesus, well, we may have doubts about that, or we struggle to understand. So God, we ask that in this time that you would bring clarity, that you would work through your spirit, not just at the level of information, but God, at the level of conviction, the level of transformation, the level of being loved and loving you in response. We give you praise. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm a Star Trek fan. Always have been. Enjoyed watching all of the original Star Trek shows with Captain Kirk and the crew of the Starship Enterprise as they explored the world, as they went where no man has gone before. If you've been paying attention to the news this week, you know that William Shatner, the actor who played um, Captain Kirk, that he actually got to go to space, that he flew to space in uh, the Blue Origin rocket, and upon his return, as he was talking with Jeff Bezos and other uh, uh, people who were inquiring of him, reporters, he had this to say. He, he described as he looked into space that he was just struck with how bleak it was, how empty it was. In fact, he equated the, the, the blackness, the, 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 just the remoteness and starkness of space, he equated it to death. He went on to describe, he said I, that he was moved to tears by what he saw. He said, I came back filled with overwhelmed sadness and empathy for this beautiful thing we call earth. For Shatner, it was a profound experience. He was affected by it, deeply affected by it. Maybe you know something of profound experiences. Maybe you've had a number of profound experiences where, where you were just confronted with something. You saw something. You heard something. You experienced something, and it, it touched you. It, it affected you. And maybe like, like Shatner, it, it was something that was more bleak than happy, more, more just shocking, unsettling course, on the other end of the spectrum, there are people who have profound experiences that are full of happiness and joy. You know that this past year, Paul Vasquez, also known as Bear Vasquez, uh, he actually died. He, he died. He was a, age 57, but uh, um, he's the guy that maybe you know uh, by his online uh, reference. At, uh, he's known as at Yosemite Bear 62. It was Bear Vasquez back in 2010 who posted the video of his reaction to a double rainbow. And when Jimmy Kimmel uh, made mention of the thing went viral and 47 million clicks, uh, people have watched this thing. 
And, and as he's looking up into the sky, not far from his home, and, and he sees this rainbow going all the way across the sky. In fact, there's, there's a mirror of it above it that, that he has this reaction. He said stuff like, it's so bright. By the way, he's crying and laughing at the same time. He says, it's so bright and vivid. It's so beautiful. What does it mean? A double complete rainbow in my front yard. It's too much. It's so intense. He was profoundly moved by the experience. So on one hand, we've got someone who had a, a bleak experience and was moved by it. Someone else who had this happy, joyful experience and was moved by it. Well, this morning, we're going to explore the most profound event in all of history. Something that we're going to discover has both an incredibly bleak side to it and, and the most joy-filled uh, experience uh, as well. So let's go ahead and read our text. Our text happens to be from Ephesians chapter 2. And if you have your Bibles, really encourage you to open them so we can follow along. If you um, have your Bible at home, that's also a great thing and we can follow along together. Let us hear the Word of God this morning. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. May God bless the reading of his word. And may God bless our time together too. All right, today what we'll do is we're going to look at four things. We're going to look at our reality God's intervention, God's reason, and our reward. So two things for us, our um, reality and our reward, and then two things from God, God's intervention and God's reason. So first, to our, our reality. All right, so how do you respond when someone says, listen, I've got good news and bad news. Which one do you want to hear first? I've got good news and bad news. Which, which of the two would you like to hear first? Are you more the type of person, you know what, Let's rip the band-aid off quickly. Let's get at the bad news, and then we can move on and hear whatever the good news is. Or do you like to hear the good news first and be blessed by that, and then you'll deal with the bad news after you are encouraged a little bit? Well, Paul goes for the former. He just tells us straight out. He fills us in on the bad news. In fact, we might even say he fills us in on the worst news. He puts it this way. He says, you're dead. 
Actually, he, he said that you once were dead, that, that there was a time you were, in the past, you were dead. You were dead. You, you were dead apart from Christ, that, that you were spiritually dead. That you, were, you walked in your, your trespasses and sins. The commentators on this passage, when they look at those two words, they find that these two words together, that Paul chooses them, that it really encompasses all the things that we would ever do against God. Whether it was something of, of commission, where we, where we chose intentionally to go against God, or even accidentally, and, and, and then also just the sins of omission, the, the things where we just wouldn't do something that we were called to do. And so Paul says, listen, you were dead. You know, we, we may never have felt dead. Maybe people who uh, do not yet know Christ, they, they don't feel dead, or they, they wouldn't say that they are dead. They go about living in this world. They breathe and they interact with others and they have lives, lives in which they even do some good. It, it, it's just that from the Bible's perspective, that outside of a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that a person is spiritually dead, that the breaking of that fellowship matters, that there is a, a very real, not just a metaphorical, but a very real death that defines the person. So the first thing that Paul says is, is you were dead. The next thing he describes is that, that we are enslaved. Apart from Christ, we are enslaved. And he, he describes three things. He says, you were following the course of the world. You were following the ways of the world. You were following the prince of the power of, of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So, in other words, the devil. That, that you, were, you were following the ways of the world, that there is this evil one, this one that, that works against God, that, that has some uh, uh, moving in this world, and, and that we were enslaved under the, uh, the guidance of this evil one. And finally he says, listen, you're also given to the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. So not just the body, but the thoughts as well. It's not just that he's talking about a certain kind of sin. He, he's really bringing out all of this thing. Listen, our very nature was working against us. We were enslaved by just the way our, um, our, our minds and our bodies pursued life. So if you take all this together, enslaved by the world, enslaved by the devil, enslaved by our own fallen nature, that's the bad news, that we were dead, we were enslaved, and as if that weren't enough, he throws one more in, that we were condemned. He says, by nature, you were children of wrath, children of wrath like the rest of humankind. The Bible puts it this way. The Bible describes that at the very beginning of time, that in God's created order, that, that there was this opportunity for humans to, to pursue the way that God would have them pursue life in this world. Hey, listen, here's a boundary. Do not eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in that first couple, that first couple, they made, made a choice to go against what God had called them to do. Now, it's not like we look back at Adam and Eve and, and, and we say, listen, oh, if they had only, doggone it, Adam. Gosh, come on, Eve. But the Bible paints this picture that, that we were co-conspirators in the choice that they made, that we shared in that choice. And that all of humanity is marred by that, that sin. That we carry with us this depravity. It's a total depravity. There's, that there's nothing about us that has a, an ability on its own to be able to seek out and to please God. 
that, that all of our aspect is, is um, marred by that sin. Not that we can't do good. Not that we can't create just laws or do good things or do acts of kindness apart from Christ. But the condemnation has come because of our turning away from God. So we were dead, we were enslaved, and we were condemned. This is the worst news. This is the description of us apart from Christ. Apart from Christ, this is our reality. So we could pause here and say, wow, are we moved by that? Are we so moved by our own desperate situation, our own going against God, that we would then turn and celebrate that there is a God who, who does exist? Will we be so moved that we would be moved to grief and, and to tearing apart our clothes or, or putting ashes on ourselves? Well, let's hold on. Let's look next then at God's intervention. God's intervention. In Ephesians 2, 4, we have the biggest but in the Bible. It says, but God, but God, hode theos, hode theos, but God. It changes everything. Listen, this is who you were. This is what your situation was. You were dead, enslaved, condemned, but God. There is good news. All is not lost. God moves on our behalf when we could not move on our own. This past week, um, past two weeks, had a couple trips. So I flew out to Spokane uh, uh, to spend some time with some pastors and great time. Flew out to California with Vicki. We uh, spent some time with family. We spent some time just together. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. All except for the experience of flying. It, it's just, I don't know if there was a romantic age of flying, but it is not now. On one leg of the trip, I actually put myself on standby. I was trying to get, I had already arranged to go on an earlier flight, but that flight, uh, the, end, the plane broke somehow. I don't know. I don't want to fly a broken plane. Don't get me wrong. But I did want to get home. And so I put myself on a standby flight. And when I was uh, chatting with the person uh, on my phone, that she said I was at the top of the list. My hope was up. Like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I go to the gate, and I notice now my name's fourth in the list. So I go to the gate, and I, I, I ask the person there, I go, listen, I was told I was first in line. And she goes, well, you don't have the same status as others. Uh, that, oh. <laughs> hey, listen, we, we have, we, I was flying United, we have a United charge card. I'm always in group two. You know, I'm not like those other people in group three, four, or five. I don't even know what it goes up to because I'm already on the plane. But they always talk about Group 1K. So Group 1K under United doesn't even have to wait in line. They have a Group 1 line, but the Group 1K doesn't have to. Group 1K gets whatever they want. Oh, Group 1K, come on forward. As I stood there, my name just kept dropping down the list. Even as they gave permission for people to get on the plane, my name kept dropping down the list. The experience of being in an airport is kind of like feeling dead, enslaved, and condemned. <laughs> and wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful if someone would come along, and as you're sitting there in that overcrowded terminal, and someone came along and just, just came gently to you, came, came lovingly to you, and then they said, we want to make it right. We, 
when we look at you, you're 1K. And, and just come with us. We're going to put you in a seat in the plane that you can have so much space you're not going to know what to do with it. Wouldn't that be wonderful? This is what God does. But God, you were dead, you were enslaved, you were condemned. But God and describes this, this is what God does. This is what God has done for us. We were in that condition. We were dead, enslaved, and condemned. But God does these three things. Verse 5, made us alive together with Christ. Verse 6, raised us up with him. Verse 6, at the end of it, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. These three things, he raised us up. He, he, he made us alive, he raised us up, and he seated us with Christ in heaven. Made us alive, raised us up, seated us with Christ in heaven. Do you know that in the passage just before this passage, it was actually talking, Paul was writing, and he writes about that it was the power of God which, uh, that uh, brought Jesus back to life. It was the power of God, and that it was the power of God that seated Jesus with him in heaven at the right hand of God. And now what Paul is saying, listen, what God did for Jesus, what God did for Jesus, he's doing for you that when it happened to Jesus, it happened for you. In fact, maybe you even recognize the words um, that Paul is using here. Now, if you're new to Christianity, if you're new to the whole um, uh, Christian experience, these may not be as familiar words. There's this creed we have. Creeds are a way that we take some teaching of the Bible and we put those teachings into smaller packages so that we can share them together as we affirm our faith. There's this one creed called the Apostles' Creed. And something that, that Christians have been affirming for hundreds and hundreds of years. And maybe you've heard these words then. That on the third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and he sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Do you see what God has done for us? He has made us alive together with him. We have the resurrection of Jesus is our resurrection. That, that, that as Jesus made alive, he has made us alive. We have gone from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. That as God raised Jesus into heaven, as, as Jesus ascended into heaven, so we are raised with him. As Jesus sits on the right hand of the Father, that, that we are seated with him in heaven. What God did for Christ, he did for us. With Christ, this happens to us. Now we could stop here. We could stop here and, and just even look at the comparison between what we were and what we are, what had been our condition and what is our condition right now. And we could have an, a, a profound experience just by comparing those two things. But there's even more. So let's look at the reasons, the reason that God has done this, God's reason. And here we'll look just at four words. Four words that Paul includes in his text. The words mercy, love, grace, and kindness. Mercy, verse 4a. But God being rich in mercy. Mercy is loving when wrath is warranted. When God's condemnation is correct. When, it, when it's rightly applied. And yet God in the midst of that chooses to show mercy. Love. Verse 4b, the second part of verse 4. 
because of the great love with which he loved us. Do you know that when the in, uh, translators of what we call the Old Testament, when the translators of the Hebrew Bible were translating it into Greek, this is some uh, 100 to 150 years before the time of Jesus, they had a challenge before them. The word love is such a key word in, in what we call the Old Testament. And, and there are a couple of, of key terms that needed to be translated. And that the Greek word that was most often used for love was the word eros. And, and, and it had a, a, a wide um, uh, breadth of, uh, of definition associated with it. And, and the translators skipped over that word. And there was, a, there was a word in Greek that, that was not used as frequently. And the translators chose to use that word in order to explain the kind of love that God shows. One of the words that they had to translate was the word hesed, this idea of, of God's loving kindness, his steadfast love, this, this choice, this intentional love, this unconditional love, the love that God chooses on his own in order to show um, love to others. God's mercy, God's love, God's grace. Verse 5 and 8, by grace you have been saved. This word grace that I know we've kicked it around a bunch in our congregation. This grace, this idea of unmerited favor. This love that comes at us even when we don't deserve it. That it's a rescue, a salvation that comes at us when that's unmerited, unearned, undeserved. And yet God moves forward with grace. Mercy, love, grace, and finally kindness. In verse 7, in kindness toward us. And this word lets us know this isn't just out of some kind of cold duty that God comes at us, that God has to love us because God is love. But it's gentle. It's soothing. In fact, there are these places in the New Testament, 1 John, both of them occur in 1 John chapter 4, where it is just declared God is love. Paul writes about it. Paul writes, listen, this is the reason God has done these things to you. He's raised you from the dead. You were dead. You were enslaved. You weren't condemned. But God raises you from the dead. Then God uh, raises you into heaven. Then God sits you uh, with Christ in the heavenly realms. God is love. We can make the statement that God is holy. In fact, we're going to talk about that next week. God is holy. And a holy God has to respond to sin. And the appropriate response to sin is wrath. And we need that. In fact, when James Bryan Smith describes that in his chapter in the book that we're using as we go through this series, that you'll see as, as he um, points out that it's really important. We would want God to respond that way to the things that go against uh, his very heart, his very mind. So God is holy. We know that. We, we will not undercut that. God is holy. But the Bible also tells us that God is love. He loves not because... You or I are deemed 1K status. He doesn't just love us because we're in group one or group two or group three. We are all in the last group. We are all under the same condemnation. We are all under the enslavement. We are all dead spiritually. And it's at that time when we were still walking in our, our trans, trespasses and sins that he chose to love us. God loves us because he is love. It's who God is. And so we could stop here. We could stop right here and go, listen, this is what we were. This is what God's done, and he's done it because he's loved us. And yet there's even more. 
there's more in our text that, that we're to explore, and we come to this point, this last point, where it's all about our reward. Our reward. You know, much has been uh, talked about uh, sometimes by comics and other times by uh, uh, people pursuing their, their doctorate and they're putting it in their thesis, this whole idea that everybody gets an award. You know, like, gosh, if you just show up, we're going to give you an award. We don't know yet what that's going to mean for uh, the culture in which we live because we have such a competitive culture and how does that affect people. But listen what happens in Christianity because of Jesus Christ. For followers of Christ, even though God does all the lifting, all the lifting, not just the heavy lifting, even though God does all the lifting, the reward goes to his children. He gives us the reward. And this reward takes at least two different forms. One is future. There's a future form of the reward that we get as a result of God acting on our benefit out of his love to save us out of death, enslavement, and condemnation. This is the reward we get in the future. Verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show you the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus get that so that in the coming ages in the in the life beyond this life in the life to come that he's going to show us the immeasurable riches of his grace oftentimes i think we have such a uh, a worldly view of heaven like we think that heaven's just going to be uh, um, uh, earth but better just, just a little bit better. We'll all be back together and, and we, won't, we won't have any tears. Like the Bible says, we won't have any tears. We won't have any pain. That'd be great. We'll all just, have, just be like her. But God's got such bigger things in store for us that for all of eternity that he would reveal to us, he would show us, he, he would provide for us all the imme- immeasurable riches of the grace that is associated with Jesus Christ. That's a future reward. But there's also a now reward, a current reward, a reward that's applied today. We find it in verse 10. Paul puts it this way, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. What God has done is he, we used to be dead and we used to be enslaved and condemned. This is who we were, but in Christ, um, God intervened. And he brought us to life and he raised us up and he seated us in heaven. And what he gives for our reward is that we get to be new creations. He recreates us. We're his workmanship. He's changed us. The thing that marred uh, the original couple after they made that choice, that, that has marred humanity, that God has provided the solution for that, and that we're recreated. We are his workmanship, a new creation. And the text goes on, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's now. This reward that we get are, are these, these wonderful opportunities that God has worked in us, that, that he gives us this opportunity to work for him in this world, to represent him in this world, this work for us to do now because we're loved by God. It's not a, just a responsibility. We could call this our responsibility. We could call this um, uh, that this is uh, our response to what God, but it's part of what God provides. God prepared for these things for us in advance. And you know what the work of God has for us is. It's said so many times in the Bible that we would love God with all of who we are 
and that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. In fact, there's this passage in 1 John. If you have your Bibles and you turn all, almost all the way to the back, you'll find 1 John. And in 1 John chapter 4, there are these two verses, two pairs of two verses. 1 John 4, 10 and 11, we read these words. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent us his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He'd be the payment. He'd be what would be um, uh, provided in order to set, uh, uh, set us apart, to bring us to life. Jesus pays the cost. He goes, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. See, it's love begetting love. Listen, God loved, God loved, and so that should beget love in your life. And here in 1 John, he's emphasizing the idea that we would love other Christians. But we know that, that Jesus taught that we would love God. We, we would love our neighbor. We would love other Christians. We would love our enemies. Even as God loves us when we were still against him. We're to love those that may be against us. In verse 16 and 17, it goes on to say, So we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us God is love, and whoever abides in his love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. We get to abide in God's love. By this, his love is love perfected in us. Do you get that? We get to live in God's love. In fact, then when we choose to love, when love becomes our domain, and we're loving others, God's love is completed in us. Love begetting love. It's the purpose of God's love that we would be transformed by his love and we would choose to represent his love in this world. This is our reward. This is what God has given us, that we would do the very things he does in being loving toward others. So now, now can we have our moment? Absolutely. We can have our profound moment, not because of some crafty word, word arrangement that I've done, it's not about the presentation. I'm, there are so many much better speakers who could, could put together stories and, and create that just that aha moment. But it's not about the one making the presentation. It's about the one who has done the work. The one who met us when we were dead, enslaved, and condemned. And intervened on our behalf. And raised us from the dead. Uh, brought us to life. Raised us with Christ. And seated us with him in heaven, who does it out of love. And by the way, this is a universe-changing event. I, I imagine, I, um, just, you know, if you can imagine an intergalactic pulse. Like, like something that would happen so far off in space, but it would be such an extreme pulse that it, would, it wouldn't slow down. No matter how far that pulse would go, it wouldn't slow down. Its force would continue with it and would just go out into all of the universe. And so it is with what God did on the cross through Jesus Christ. Boom! And God's love goes out. And the price was paid. And people went from being dead to being alive, from being enslaved to being free, from being condemned to being justified in God's sight. Because God is love, you are not lost. Because God is love, all who turn to Christ will be saved. There's a hymn that I've mentioned before. 
a hymn that uh, is horribly, horribly hard to sing. Um, and so oftentimes uh, churches don't choose to sing it. There's actually a more modern version of it that includes some of the words but changes the tune. But it's a hymn that Charles Wesley wrote. And if you know the name Charles Wesley, Charles and his brother John Wesley were um, the uh, instigators to the whole Methodist movement out of the Anglican church back in the 1700s. So Charles Wesley, he completed his Anglican orders in 1735. But he didn't have his profound experience until 1738. And at that point, God quickened his heart. God revealed to him what had uh, been provided uh, for him through Jesus Christ. And he knew the difference between being dead and being alive. Being enslaved and being set free. Being condemned and being justified by Christ. And he wrote these words. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke. The dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him my living head and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. My prayer leading up to today would be that each and every one of us would be able to realize that our chains have been taken away. That we have been set free. It could be that we've dimmed the light on that. That over our lives we've been distracted and we've dimmed the light on that. And we're not as aware of it on any given day. And my prayer is that as Charles Wesley could be so moved, so affected, so changed by what God has done that we would push away the dimmer. That we would hear it afresh. That we would be encouraged and move forward with God. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful that indeed you have given us Jesus Christ and in him you have accomplished all that we need for life, not only now, but forevermore. God, we pray for each other. Maybe it is that someone has just been hanging around and, and yet has never realized or has never gone to that place where they've uh, been aware of what you have done for them. And so even now, as, as your spirit moves in our hearts and our minds, that would you help us to be able to respond to what you've done? So whether it's the first time or, or, or it's the hundredth time that we have heard this good news, may we say, yes, God. Yes, God. Thank you, God. I want to live under your love. I want to live according to what you've accomplished in my life. I want to love as you have loved me. God, thank you that you make this so. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.